And you can turn your Bibles to the Epistle of Romans. As I've shared with you briefly, God has placed some things upon my heart to share with you throughout this year, but I'm not quite ready to launch out. So this morning we are going to to look into some things that I shared with Brother Josh's church last week at the conference. But if you would please pray for me as I seek to put all of this together and organize it, I, I truly covet your prayers. So pray for me. I need time and um, the mind of God to, to put some things together so that it will be profitable for us as we study some things this year. I believe God really wants to lay a foundation and to see us truly established in the truth and in the way. But this morning, we're going to deal with a very essential topic. If we are going to be true and faithful witnesses for Christ, this is something that we must understand and believe and be settled in. So this morning, we're going to briefly look at the myth of atheism. As we read in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now one more scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And oh, if this doesn't describe our generation right here. Ecclesiastes 10 starting in verse 5. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, 
as an error which proceedeth from the ruler, folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Pray with me this morning as we delve into the thought, the myth of atheism. Father, we do come, Lord, before your throne today. Lord, we need you to quicken us by your spirit. Illuminate our minds. Grant us ears to hear. Lord, eyes to see. Lord, establish us in thy truth. We pray, Lord, that you would quicken us, Lord. Increase our faith that we would believe thy word. Standing thereupon unashamed of it, proclaiming it, Lord, with boldness and courage in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation. We thank you for it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, indeed, saints, truth is fallen in the streets of our nation, and our culture has sadly been inundated with myths. And a myth is merely a widely held but false belief or tradition. A myth is merely a fable. And the Bible speaks of, of such an apostasy in which men would depart from truth, in which there would be seducing spirits that would lure men away from truth and they would thus believe doctrines of devils or fables or myths. We must never forget, though, that all truth and wisdom are found only in Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Samuel, oh, what a scripture. I love this. It says, talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. As the Bible says, in whom Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is no truth. There is no wisdom. There is no reality outside of the person of Christ. And according to the scriptures, there are great consequences when men reject the light. They are given over to deception in which they truly believe that light is darkness and they believe that truth is error. But I want you to know here this morning that what we believe as just simple Bible-believing Christians, what we believe is normal, amen? What we believe is scientific. What Brother Britt is speaking to you about courtship, that's normal. Hey, those that have a sound mind, they want to do things God's way. This isn't the freak show up in here. The freak show is out there. So we're talking about courtship. That's God's mind. And he is all wisdom. And he is all love. Authority. You know, 
That's God's idea, that we would be submitted to authority. We were there at the campus there at at Sam Houston, and and Brother Leon had a mob there of Jezebels just going crazy. And I walked up to that mob. I said, you know, we believe in authority here. And I said to that mob, I said, you know, if I were to tell this man right here to be quiet and not say another word, he'd obey me. They looked at him. Leon said, that's right. I said, you see that man over there? I said, Brother Josh, how old are you? He said, I'm 30 years old. I said, I'm 47-year-old man, but that's my authority. If he told me not to say another word, I'd obey him. I said, you're a bunch of rebels. Submission to authority is normal. You see, this is the way that things ought to. Modesty, this is the way that people ought to dress. Yes, sir. We're not the freak show. What most believe to be reality is in reality fantasy. And what most believe to be orthodoxy in this hour is error. As Hosea said, oh, get a hold of this. The prophet is a fool and the spiritual man is mad. Amen. We're madmen according to this wicked and perverted generation. But praise God, had a flaming sodomite there at Sam Houston. Oh, he made me nervous. He got right up in my face. I thought he was about to lick me or something as I just stood there preaching. But that sodomite, he said to me, he said, you're a hateful child abuser and you are a part of a cult. Oh, praise God. Begin to think about that. I tell you, I am baptized in love. Amen. Must be raising those children right and be encouraged, CFF. You must have found a good place to attend church. Yes, sir. You see, that's the idea of this wicked and perverted generation. Generation, a generation that thinks it not strange that a man will get in bed with another man but thinks if you just believe the word of God and stand on a street corner and preach the gospel that you're the freak. No, sir. This is normality according to God and don't you be ashamed of it. Yes, sir. I confess unto you this morning, young people, after the way they call heresy, I do worship my God, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. You see, most live in a plastic world, a virtual reality in which folly is set in great dignity. That which is true and noble and pure and biblical is despised and ridiculed and demonized. But that which is perverted, absurd, and demonic is protected and celebrated. Sadly, in this hour, most are living according to the announcement of the pilot who announced to his passengers, he said, we've lost all of our instrumentation and we don't know where we are, but we're making great time. Oh, yes, sir. They're epistemologically stupid. They are not aware of why they believe what they say they believe. They have no standard. They have no bearings. They're just living their life, eating and drinking and being merry, but never truly thinking about truth. What are some of the myths 
of our day. How about this one? That Donald Trump is God's man for the hour. <laughs> if ever there was a myth, that's it. To see this man sitting down and Paula White sitting down next to him as his spiritual advisor. The fact they'd give that woman a microphone in front of the whole nation. I tell you, it's a strange hour. What about the myth that preaching the gospel according to the great commission is detrimental? Or how about the myth that Jesus Christ can't deliver a man from all sin? Could there be anything more absurd than that? Perhaps, though, one of the greatest myths which Satan has peddled is the myth of evolution. Oh, what a fairy tale. And along with that myth comes the myth of millions of years. What a commanding myth evolution has become in our generation. How is it that people could believe something so stupid? It's because it's got a demonic anointing and because people have an agenda. They don't want there to be a creator because they don't want there to be a judge. And because they're not lovers of truth, they are given over wholesale to mythology. We have the mythical Jesus, an effeminate, metrosexual, nice guy with the hair of a shampoo model who walked around Jerusalem telling stories and teaching his disciples how to win friends and influence people. That's what we've got. The modern Jesus is a, a myth, a fable. Amen. You know, Jesus was not nice. But neither was he mean. He was holy. Amen? Jesus wasn't positive. Neither was he negative. You see, these are not the Christian's paradigm. We're not try, you know, trying to be nice and not trying to be mean and trying to be positive. And try. No, we seek like Christ to be holy. That is the paradigm of Christianity. And if you are a Christian, I have news for you this morning. You are called to be an anointed myth buster. Oh, yes. That's what God has called you to do. He's given you a holy wrecking ball. And he wants you to go up in the midst of all of this unreality and fantasy. And he wants you to wreck it all and tear down these strongholds and demolish these arguments and do what our master did and said, think not that it's the way that you think it is. Oh, yeah. You may have heard Richard Dawkins or the pastor down at the first church say this, but that's not the way that it really is. That's not reality. That's fantasy. That's mythology. And if you want the truth, just pull up a chair. I've got it right here. But the myth we're looking at here this morning is the myth of atheism. And you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have really been burdened to deal with this. But as we went and dealt with these students on these campuses, that's pretty much all I dealt with day after day. And it is going to become more and more popular as we go along. But let it be known that there are 
no atheists in this world. Only professing atheists who are in actuality anti-Christian theists. That's all that they are. And in fact, you and I were called to be a atheists. If we believe the Bible, we don't believe in atheists because they don't exist. And this is set forth in the book of Romans. You know, in chapter one, Paul sets forth both the interpretive paradigm of this epistle as well as the salvific paradigm of Christianity. He says the just shall live by faith. That tells us that those that are unjust, they're damned because of unbelief. That's why men are damned. That's why the wrath of God is revealed against those that deny him. It's because they have the knowledge of God. You want to know what makes God angry, little children, when people such as yourself have such truth and light, but you suppress it and you hold it down for selfish reasons. That's what kindles the wrath of God. So we see the reason why God's wrath is revealed is because people do know God, but they suppress and hold down that knowledge. According to our text here in Romans 1, let me ask you, who needs proof for God's existence? No one. The scriptures never seek to prove God's existence because it's the most obvious truth in the universe. Here's a good question to ask an atheist. I asked a, an agnostic this at, at Lamar. Ask them this. What evidence is needed to convince you of the God that says no more evidence is needed? And if they try to answer it, they don't understand the question. You see, the God that we're trying to convince them of says no more evidence is needed because they already have the proof of his existence. You see, all men by virtue of being creatures are aware of two things. God exists and his word is true. God's existence is self-evident. And this book, it's not unbelievable, it's un-unbelievable if you will handle it honestly. But notice moreover, when God reveals himself to all men as set forth in Romans 1. He doesn't reveal himself as the designer of all things, but he reveals himself as the boss. What does it say is revealed to all men? His eternal power and Godhead. You see, that speaks about his authority, his self-attesting, obvious authority that every creature by virtue of being a creature has knowledge of. You see, we're the creation, and if we're the creation, that presupposes a creator. And here's a little Latin for you young people. We are created imago dei, in the image of God. And because we're created imago dei, we all have sensus divinitatis, which is the sense of the divine. Every man has this awful and terrible but glorious knowledge of God. And this is revealed 
In fact, Jean-Paul Sartre, one of the most wicked atheistic philosophers of all time, you know what he confessed? He said, I became so tired of God watching everything that I did that I took him down into my basement and threw him away. He's giving testimony to the truth of Romans chapter 1. According to our text, God's wrath is revealed, not against those that do not have the knowledge of God, but against those who unrighteously suppress the knowledge of God. And what we have to understand, all men have the knowledge of God. Not the saving knowledge of God, but the knowledge of his existence and the knowledge of his authority. But they hold down or suppress that knowledge. And that word for suppress or hold down is the Greek word catechane. This is very significant. It literally means to be in constant contact with as the truth is suppressed. You know, David asked the question, why do the heathen rage? This is why they rage. As they're trying to, as I told you, my old granddandy would take those balls in the swim pool and he'd sit on them and float around and say, where's the ball? He was suppressing the ball, but he was in constant contact with that ball. But when you go out to that college campus, you know what you're doing? You're nudging on that ball a little bit and that ball's wanting to come loose out of them and they don't like you holding them accountable and therefore they begin to get a little upset with you and they begin to rage because they have the knowledge of God. Furthermore, this knowledge of God is not merely the knowledge of a God. And this is so important to understand. We're not out there just trying to defend some general theism. No, sir. And this is set forth in Romans chapter one. It says, because when they knew God. There's an article in there. It really says, Nantes ton theon. In other words, when they knew the God. Which God? The only true and wise God. That's the God they have knowledge of. The triune Christian God. You know, sometimes the atheists will say, well, which God do you believe in? I just believe in one less God than you do. You know what I tell them? The only one that exists. And it says in Psalms 96 and 5, what a scripture. All the gods of the nations are idols. That's what the Bible, there are no other gods but the true and living triune Christian God and every other so-called God is merely an idol and I can assure you and I'm going to start asking them this question when that atheist says I don't believe in God if you could have uh, an x-ray camera that would give you a picture of the image that comes into his mind when it says I don't believe in God it wouldn't be Zeus, it wouldn't be Allah or some kind of pink unicorn or flying spaghetti monster. The God that comes into his mind when he makes that statement is the Christian God. 
Yes, sir. And you can mark it down this morning. Where, Whenever anyone, any child reaches the age of accountability, I don't care where he was raised, whether in China or in Russia or in Iran. It doesn't matter what his parents believe. It doesn't matter his culture. Every creature, when he comes to the age of accountability, he has knowledge of the Christian God. And whatever direction he goes in, whether he becomes an atheist, a Buddhist, or a, a Hindu, there was a point in that life in which he rejected the knowledge of the Christian God. And you've got to believe that. You've got to stand there. Because if you don't truly believe the word of God, then you are going to be moved by the crocodile tears and the pseudo-arguments of these pseudo-intellectuals. It's like I told you, the evangelist met a man out on the streets and the man said, I, my two brothers committed suicide and I became angry at God. He says, but went to the thrift store and found this Bhagavad Gita. He said, I could get into this Brahman. I, I kind of like this Hinduism. The wise evangelist asked him one question. He said, when you got mad at God, what God did you get mad at? He said, the man hung his head and began to weep. You see, when men get mad at God, they get mad at this God because that's the God that they have knowledge of. So much to cover here this morning. And since every man has received clear light from God, Every apostate worldview finds its origin in the rejection of that universal light. Thus, unregenerate man, wherever you find him, is a culpable, self-deceived rebel who suppresses the truth of the triune Christian God. Not because he's con committed to logic, or science, or philanthropy, but because he's committed to making himself God. That is the reason. It is autonomy, autonomos, making oneself their own source of law. And really, autonomy is merely the creature rejecting his createdness and wanting to be God himself. This individual is a self-deceived and culpable rebel. Now, all believers are simply rebels against the authority of God, but most will not be honest as they will attempt to justify their rebellion. And this justification will usually either be pseudo-intellectual, such as the philosopher king or the evolutionists, or it will be religious in nature. You see, they're not going to just admit to you that they've got the knowledge of God. They're going to try to justify their rejection of God. And Paul sets it forth so beautifully as he was the first anthropological, taxonomical classifier of mankind. Adam named and classified the animals. Paul classified mankind. What does he set forth? Barbarians, Greeks, 
Jews and Christians, the barbarian, the outright heathen. Then we have the Greek, that's the atheist, the philosopher king, trying to use his intellect to reject the knowledge of God. Then we have the Jew, the religious hypocrite, still a rebel against God. He may be a a Muslim, a Hindu, or just an antinomian, typical American Christian who believes in once saved, always saved. But all of them, no matter what class, are rebels against God and they either seek to use their intellect or religion to cloak this rebellion. You know, ideas have consequences. One day I was meditating upon the fall and pondering all the variables that were present there when Eve sinned against God. You know, what are the main apostate philosophies that we encounter whenever we're dealing with the unregenerate? Well, here are some. There's autonomy, man making himself God, man deciding his own law, what's right and wrong, true and false. Antinomianism, man rejecting or making void the law of God. Higher criticism, when men stand in judgment over this book right here. Pragmatism, when people begin to look at the Results to determine what direction they will take. Scientism, believing the word of some so-called scientist over the word of God. And once saved, always saved. But you know, as I began to look and dissect and analyze the fall, every one of these philosophies were present when Eve fell. Here we have it. Autonomy. Eve believed she had a right to evaluate something and make a decision independent from the law, word of God. Higher criticism, she both added to and took away from the word of God. Made God more strict, don't you touch it, and made God less gracious when he said you can freely eat. Pragmatism. She acted based upon the potential result of an action rather than the plain command of God. Antinomianism. She suspended and disobeyed the moral law of God for what seemed right unto her. And then scientism. Oh, yes. Eve became a scientist. Instead of determining what was true and false by a perfect revelation from God, she instead exalted her senses and reason. And you ask, what about once saved, always saved? It was the first message that Satan ever preached. And what did he do? He used that demonic doctrine of devils to grease the wheels. You see, that's what he preached to her before he tempted her to sin. Because if she really believed if she ate that fruit, she would die. She never would have. So he lied to her and preached basically, ye shall surely not die. And by using that doctrine of devils, he greased the wheels and prepared her heart to receive a lie. Oh, that's very insightful. You think about that. That's what we're dealing with. And you see, ideas have 
consequences. That's why it's so important that we have right thoughts about God. That's why it's so important that we believe the truth, that we believe it for ourselves. You see, young people, that's why you've got to see this for yourself. And you must be a lover of truth. You know why this generation is given over to mythology and fables? As it says in 2 Thessalonians, it says they did not receive the love of the truth. Not that they didn't just receive some true things that someone told them. You hear me, young people, but they didn't receive the spirit which loves truth. You see, there's a difference. Oh yeah, some of you young people, I believe that's true, that's true, and that's true. And that's good that you know that. But have you received into your heart the love of the truth? And you see, when you receive that, you want to know the truth about everything. And you go to the word of God because you want to know it for yourself. You believe it's in there. You believe you can know it and you don't rest content until you find it. You see, that's the spirit that we must have. We must buy the truth. And if you buy it, it's going to cost you something. Don't you think it won't? You've got to be willing to sacrifice some things. Oh, yeah. This world's going to call you a madman if you receive this spirit. But, oh, I'm encouraging you this morning. Receive the love of the truth. Amen. Believe God. Stand upon his word. Believe what he said. That in Christ are hid all the treasures of truth and wisdom. Amen. Let's stand here this morning. Looks like we'll be having part two next week. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we do rejoice today. Oh, God, we are unworthy, Lord, of your truth, of your blessings. Lord, we thank you today for the gift of a seeing eye, a hearing ear. Father, a circumcised heart. We thank you, Lord, for that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you. Help us, O oh God, to receive the love of the truth. Help us, O oh God, Lord, to stand upon thy word, to be faithful in the midst of the cruel mockings, in the midst of all the fables and myths of our generation, that we would be unashamed of you and your words. We thank you to do it, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. We'll take a short break and come back for church.